Well, last week we didn't quite get through everything. So we're looking to try and finish some of that off here today. Looking at the tears in our, in our midst, that there are tears and there are people that are tears in our life. And so we want to know the difference between wheat and tares. Uh, this is not for you to know the difference that you can, that you can judge someone as being a tear. Because we're not supposed to judge them as being tares. Who's supposed to do that judging? The angels are supposed to do that judging and they do that at the end. Because it is possible that something that looks like a tear, something that looks like a piece of wheat growing up, may turn into something else. That's one of the things about the tares and the wheat is they look very much like each other. The tares are pretending to be wheat. And that's not something that you want to be growing in there. From what I'm told, it does have a fruit, but it's a very bitter fruit. But as we looked at it last time, we saw that you can know the difference between wheat and tares. First off, by their fruit. Matthew seven twenty and verse 23. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. I like the way the New Living Translation puts this. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. We want to make sure that we do the will of the Father. Don't let the enemy ever convict you, get on your case and say, well, if I'm, if I'm not doing everything that's in the will of God, how am I going to get in? That's not at all what it's teaching. What it is is you are constantly learning the will of God. Your attitude is, I want to learn what the will of God is. Once I learn it, I want to put it to work. I want to get it to, to go in my life. You don't need to be perfect in these things, but you need to be moving in this direction. If you take on the attitude that says, I'm going to do whatever I want. I don't care what God wants. I'm not going to learn about what He wants me to do. I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. Well, then you may be going the way of a tear. I'm not saying that you are. I'm not the judge on that. <laughs> Neither are you. So we don't judge on those. And as we spent time in Timothy looking at that, which kind of sent us down this particular road, God may grant them repentance. That's the thing that, that we looked at to begin with. Verse 22, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. We don't want to be those who practice lawlessness. We want to be those who practice the will of the Father. It does not mean that you can't ever miss it, step out, fall into a wrong area. It just means that when you do, Father, I, I stepped I stepped in the wrong area there. And you confess your sins before the Father. He forgives you. And then you go on. That's how we, we live the life. The enemy would like you to be condemned for every misstep that you do. Everything that you do that's outside the will of God. Everything that, that you do that you know, well, I shouldn't have done that. But you did it anyway. So by their fruit is one way. Someone who is not a terror will learn the will of the Father. Someone who is not a terror will do those things that are his will. They will refrain from those that are not. And what we produce from what is in us is more important than what is produced through us. What is pro what we produce from what is in us. Get the word of God in you. Get that well of water down on the inside of you. What you produce from what is in you is more important than what is produced through you. The world even sometimes Christians, we look at what is produced through us. 
We look at the prophecies. We look at the casting out the demons. We look at the healings. We look at these things that are being done. But this part that Jesus is teaching here, what sets you apart is what you do, what you practice in the will of God or outside of the will of God. That's what we're going to make sure that we, we stay with. Now, all, all tears pretend to be something they are not genuinely. We looked at some verses on that. But not all pretenders are tears. Just because you find somebody and they're pretending to be something doesn't mean that they're a tear. But tears are pretenders. They will be disguised. They will pretend to be something different. The second thing we saw was their message. Galatians 1, 8, 9 said, But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. So there are obviously people in Paul's day that were coming along and preaching a different gospel, preaching a different way to get to heaven, preaching a different way to get to Jesus, preaching a different way to live the Christian life. And we know some of those, some of them were, were legalistic, trying to get them to fall in line with, with laws that God had said were done away with, trying to get them to be, uh, to uh, do certain laws so that they could be righteous when no one had been able to do it all through history. Second Peter 2, 1 and 2, we cover a lot more of this. I'm just going to read these two verses. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. They secretly bring them in. If you bring anything in secretly, it's because you know you shouldn't do it. I remember ever going to the movie theater and didn't want to pay $10 for a candy bar. So what did you do? You secretly brought in stuff, right? You had pockets. You had a pocketbook or everything. You secretly brought... Why did you bring it in secretly? Because you knew I'm not supposed to do this. People who bring things in secretly know I am not to bring this in. Otherwise, you don't do it secretly. You do it right out there in the open. This is what we're doing. So they secretly bring in destructive heresies. I can't tell for sure, but it sure seems like they know that these things that they're teaching will be destructive. So they bring it in. They may be deceived into thinking that they're actually going to help people. But I have to bring it in secretly because certain people in the church, you know, if Paul hears about this, he's going to put the kibosh on this. If Paulus hears about this, if Peter hears about this, if John hears about this, we've got to make sure we do it without them finding out. Otherwise, you know, they'll, they'll, uh, they'll put this down. So they secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who brought who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. Many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. So people are coming in, they're bringing in false teaching, they're bringing in destructive heresies, and people, it says many, many people will follow him. You will notice this. That in the church throughout ages, throughout all the ages, throughout history, and certainly in the present day, there are a lot of heresies, there are a lot of things that are false that many people follow. Why is it that so many people follow the ultra grace? Why is it that so many people follow there's any way to get to heaven? Why is it that so many people follow all these things? Because there is no spiritual opposition to it. 
with the things of God, there is spiritual opposition. The enemy, spirit forces of darkness, they want to stop the light from coming in. So they want to come in and they want to, they want to hinder that. They want to stop it. You look at people who just come out and bring out truth from the news of the day, just the things that are happening in the news, and they want to bring out the truth of that and look at the things that come against them. There's opposition to truth coming out. So they even deny the Lord who, who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction, and many will follow. If you're looking around today, if you look at the ways that many people follow, more than likely, that's not going to be the right way. So those are the two things we looked at last time. Two ways to do it. The message, the message could set apart a tear. The fruit can set apart a tear. And now we're going to take a look at the third one, and that is their attitude. This will be your favorite one. In 1 John, verse 8 of chapter 1, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. A tear will deceive themselves. A tear can be deceived. But they're going to be thinking, my way is right. I am going the right way. You could bring scripture verses to them and say, but this is what the Bible says. No, I'm going this way. They say, I don't have any sin. They say, I don't even, I don't need those things going on in my life. If we say that we have no sin. Now, of course, you'll see this ultimately in the, in the ultra grace group. The ultra grace group, no one really has sin because Christ died for all sin. And there's some big names that went along with this ultra grace group. They, uh, they, they were out there with it. And many people followed. But in the ultra grace, Christ died for all. That's what the Word of God says. Therefore, if Christ died for all, everybody's saved. So it really doesn't matter what you do. Now, that's not a new doctrine. That comes all the way back from Paul's day. They were trying to teach them that. Whatever you do in the natural, you are a spirit being. So whatever you do in the natural, it doesn't affect your spirit. These kind of things have gone on. But you just look at how things handle the sin issue. Most times, sin is bypassed, sin is not there, or they handle sin in, a, in another way. Sin is handled this, this way. The blood of Jesus Christ was put on the altar in heaven. And that is the propitiation, that is the redemption for our sin. All we need to do is to call upon that, come to, come to the Father and say, I, I have sinned, we confess our sins, and the sacrifice is already there, and we are cleansed. That's all we need to do. Don't let somebody else come along and start telling you other stuff. But they'll have an attitude. Well, I haven't sinned. But they'll also have an attitude. They'll get, get puffed up as we see throughout the, uh, the scriptures here in 3 John. Of course, it only has one chapter, but 3 John 1, 9 through 11. I wrote to the church, but the atrophies who loves to have the preeminence among them does not receive us. So here's a particular guy. He loves to be at the forefront. He loves people to recognize him. How many of y'all know people? They just love recognition. I mean, you come on into the group and they want people to recognize them. And, and there's other people that are more like a wallflower. They just want to fade into the background. I'm more of a fade into the background kind of a person. We like to, my wife and I, if we go out to a meeting, 
they'll, they'll sometimes do these things, you know, all the pastors come on up over here, we don't want to do anything like that, we just sit in the back, you know, just sit over there, with, with, we just don't like to, we just don't like all that sort of, sort of stuff to go on. Uh, that doesn't mean that people who do are what these people are talking about, but they have an attitude that, hey, I need to be recognized, I need people to, to uh, check out who I am, this is what he was saying about this particular person. People who need these kind of things, they're, they're going in the wrong direction because the way that we live our lives, whether we're in ministry, whether we're, we're not in ministry, whatever it is, we're all in ministry of some sorts for God. And if I have to be recognized for what it is that I do, then I'm not trying to bring the glory to God. Make sure you're bringing the glory to God. This person was not. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us with malicious words. And not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. So he's basically saying this. All right, these and these and these, they, they teach what Paul teaches. And if you want to go along with that, you're out of the church. Now, he didn't start off like that. He had to start off smaller. He had to start off kind of acting humble. He had to pretend to be humble. He had to put a disguise on so that people wouldn't see who he was. Until people began to follow. People began to trust him. People began to put things in them because they couldn't see through what was going on there. And you don't have to necessarily make the judgment between tear and wheat. All you have to do is follow your spirit. Your spirit should say, this is truth. Many times I've sat at the foot of somebody teaching. And, well, I don't understand what this is, but I know it's right. In my spirit, it tells me it's right. i got to learn what this thing is. And other times you sat before somebody and they're teaching, they're ministering, and on the inside, this is not right. I'm not sure why. This is not right. Because down in your spirit comes up. No matter how long you've been a Christian, doesn't make any difference. You could be a newborn babe and you still have that spirit of God on the inside of you and that spirit says, uh-uh. Nope. And you know, all right, well, I don't know what's wrong with it, but I know that something is wrong with it. And you can simply go right away from that. doesn't mean that person's a terror. It just means that something that they're teaching there isn't right. I don't have to make judgments between tares and wheat, but I can make the judgment between truth and, and uh, falsehoods. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. You kind of think, why in the world do you have to write that? Why would you imitate what is evil? Well, first off, they haven't discerned what is evil. They haven't made that, put that time in there to find out what is evil. What is this person, do- is this person doing something that is good? But simply they hear, well, this has always worked for me. Well, I'm just going to do what they did. And we imitate that particular thing. Don't imitate people. Do what the Spirit of God tells you to do on the inside of yourself. If the Spirit of God says, do this, go this direction, listen to this, follow this, then you do that. But if the Spirit of God says, that's not for you, you listen to Him. Don't imitate what is evil. There have people out there, they're doing the wrong things. They're not following after the Word. They're going in the wrong direction. They're not believing that Jesus is the healer. They're teaching people these other things. We've, we've seen it. People go out there and they say, well, your sickness, you may have that because God has a purpose to teach you something. God has a purpose to develop something in you. No. If God redeemed us through Jesus Christ from sickness and disease, then he redeemed all of us. If that's the purpose of God, of, of God sending Jesus Christ to this earth, then there isn't any purpose in him having sickness and disease. So don't imitate what is evil. 
He says some people will come out and they'll say something, but I know directly the word says that's not true. I'm not going to pursue that. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. Wow. He didn't, now, he didn't say does good like they are perfect. They may just be going along with good things, but it's as good as they know. That's all they know as, as far as good is, but they're doing those, those things that are good. Those are, those are good folks to have. Now, tares will speak things about themselves that are not true. They'll go out there and they'll say things about themselves. And when you find out later on, well, that wasn't true at all. Well, that didn't happen at all. Remember Billy Graham, one of the things that he did when he set out to, uh, to minister, to help people, one of the things that he would do was to, we will not exaggerate. He said, that's one of our, our things we do. We will not exaggerate anything. So if they had, in a meeting, they had 500 people that came to Christ, uh, say it was 400. If they had a thousand people come up and uh, come back to Jesus Christ, well, say it was 750, they would always say the number was lower. Because then if they found out there was less people, they have a little bit of a buffer there. But if you say a thousand people were, were saved and it turns out that they weren't, then people begin to look at you funny. So he said, we don't want that. There's a whole lot of people out there. They get five people saved and it was 500. And so we don't, we don't want to have that kind of stuff going on. So that's one of the things that Billy Graham did is whatever happens in the meetings, we don't exaggerate it. We actually will say it is less than what it was. But one who is a tear will exaggerate everything. And if you don't want to believe that, if you try and challenge that, then they will challenge you. And they will come after you on, on those things. Don't imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. So this man here that Paul was up against, he was puffed up. He would lift himself up. We're going to see some of that same thing over here in Revelation chapter 2. This is one of the letters that we had to the churches. And in the letters to the churches that was there, to the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. Have you ever had it that you see evil people and you just can't bear it? It just bothers you? It just, uh, there's something on the inside of you that, that, that uh, isn't set right. You see that evil going on and... Mm, he said he's writing this about the saints at Ephesus. You guys, you can't bear evil. God doesn't like to bear evil either. To the angel, that's to the pastor. To the pastor, I'll just put, put it to you that way. To the pastor of the church of Ephesus, write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, and your patience. If you have ever wondered, does, does God know the works that I'm doing? Does he know how patient I have been in all the... Yep, he's telling you right here. I know your works. I know the things that you've been doing. I know your labor. I know your patience. And that you cannot bear with those who are evil. You cannot bear them. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not. You have tested. They didn't just say, people came into their midst and said, we're an apostle and we're going to teach you these... No, no, no. Let's, uh, let's check this out. Because all kinds of people will come and they will tell you, I am this, I am that, I am whatever. It doesn't mean that they aren't. 
But generally, people don't have to, uh, you don't have to put it to you this way. If someone has to come in and announce what they are all the time, then they probably aren't that. If you had a person come in and they were a body builder, and they came on in and they said, I am a body builder, and they weigh all of 95 pounds, <laughs> what would you think? Uh, pro- probably not. No, I don't, I don't know about that. You could, certain things that they could be doing, they could say, I am a concert pianist. And you uh, ask her, can you play me something? Well, no, I, don't, I, I can't really play anything, you know, just off the spot. Like, well, no, probably anybody who is, is that accomplished can just sit down at the piano and play something. If a person is a thing, then you will see it. If a person, I mean, if you are at home and you are a knitter, how many people do we have consider themselves to be a knitter? If you walked into the house, I'll bet you will see several items knitted. My grandmother was one who would who would knit things. She would knit sweaters for me, you know, and the other grandkids, and she would do things. I think I told you the story of those. She'd be knitting my sweaters, and everybody at work would tell her, there's no way that's going to fit. Those are like arms of a monkey. <laughs> that's what they actually said. They said, you have arms like a monkey. If you, there's no way that would fit. And my grandmother said, no, no, I measured, I measured. This is the way, this is the, there's no way anybody has arms like that. And, you know, because my arms, I guess, were more out of proportion at the uh, at that time. And so uh, she took it on over, put it on me, fit just fine. She went on back to work and said, no, no, it fit just fine. But she, she was a knitter. She knit all the time. She would just, she just liked to knit. And so you could see things that were that way. We'd go down to the shore. She'd have our knitting stuff. She'd have the yarn. She'd have the needles. And she'd be there. Just uh, whenever she can, half hour here, hour there, she just get going with the thing, and that's that's what it was. You didn't have to. She didn't have to advertise. This is what I am, because you could see. You don't have to advertise. I am a cook. Because people will find that out by coming into your house and smelling the things that are in the air, or even outside. Sometimes I've been running in neighborhoods outside, and uh, it's one of the reasons I like to run in the morning. There's no smells. There's no smells in the morning. But if uh, those days that I, I put the run off until 3, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, there are smells in the air. There are smells in the air. I'm out there for you know a couple of hours getting the, the run in, and you, know, you can start to get hungry. And then you can smell somebody is cooking burgers. Oh, somebody's got some steaks on the grill. Mm, I can smell them steaks. Or you can smell the things that are going on. I don't want to smell them, but they're, but they're there. And so you can tell someone is a cook here. Somebody knows what they're doing because that smell is really good. You don't have to advertise what you are. If you were truly an apostle, then those traits would come out. If you were truly a prophet, then those traits would come out. He says, this is what he is saying to them. You didn't just take it that somebody said, I am this. You made them prove it. You made them, uh, you, you checked it out. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear with those that are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. Not just wrong. Liars. Because they can't take the evil. If you're going to come in here and say you're an apostle and you're not, well, we need to check that out. Here's some of what the Word speaks about this here in 1 Timothy 3, 6, talking about who to put in positions. Not a novice. Lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. (laughs) Oh, 
You got to be careful being puffed up. Don't ever start thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to think, as the word says. Don't be doing that. Make sure keep keep a a, a right view of yourself. That doesn't mean I'm nothing. I'm not worthy of anything. Doesn't mean you put yourself down. You can think of yourself highly, just not more highly than you ought to. And don't be thinking less of other people. That's not going to be the right attitude. First Timothy six thirty through five. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words, from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil, suspicion, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such withdraw yourself. Now, don't think you got to withdraw from anybody who's evil. You got to withdraw from anybody who's a sinner. You don't have to. You got to be out there ministering to them. You got to be out there helping them. But there are some people, they just want to make a fight out of everything. And they're not content unless they have that fight. Uh, there are many times I've, I've certainly gotten better over this over the, over the decades. But when you run into somebody and they want to debate you whether this person is of God, they want to debate you whether this doctrine is of God. They want to debate you on these these uh, things. And uh, I'll, ta- I'll talk with them for a little while, but if they get just to be contentious, I don't need to convince you. My role as a pastor, as a teacher, my role is never to convince you. My role is to teach you. you got to convince yourself. you got to take the things that are presented in the Word of God and you got to go out there and do it. I don't have to convince you. So I don't take that on. So if you don't want to be convinced, hey, that's fine. Let's go. We'll go off on another topic. We'll go off in another direction. I'm okay with that. I'll even fellowship with you as long as we're not getting into some of the areas where the Word of God says uh, withdraw from these folks. Sometimes you have to do that. But uh, I'm not going to have contentious arguments. If uh, we get onto a, a discussion, you know, sometimes you can get onto a discussion about a certain prophet or a certain apostle. And they, well, I believe that that person is so. I believe that that person is this way. And, well, that's fine. I don't. I mean, there's some people that are going around today that are saying I'm a prophet and so so forth. I don't give them the time of day. I don't watch them on TV. I don't uh, I don't pay any mind to them at all because I know some of the things that they're saying are not lining up with the Word of God. And uh, if somebody wants to convince me that they are, well, that's fine. You can. I just move on from that. I don't need to to have that conversation. I don't need to have that strife and uh, get somebody angry about it. I just I just move on. Uh, they may continue to argue with me on it or continue to throw their points. I'll just get quiet. Just know this about you. all know this probably about me anyway. If I get quiet in an issue, it's because I've determined that you don't want to hear anything or I don't know anything on the topic and I'm listening. It could be either one of those two things. Because sometimes I don't know anything on the topic and I need to listen and hear what's going on with it. But sometimes I know some things and you just don't want to hear them. And I don't have to. I don't have, used to, when I was younger, had that need. I don't have that need anymore. We got to move on from, from some of that. Second Timothy 3 verse 1. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Just know it. Know it. I was listening to Brother Rick. He uh, found another teaching on his. And he was uh, ministering on this word perilous times. Oh, he had some good things on it, but we're not going to get into that. 
For men will be lovers of themselves. Did we see that today? Lovers of money. Boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness. We're not talking about heathen people who don't care about God. We're talking about people that want to portray they have something to do with God. To some level, even people in the news, some of them want to say they believe in God. And they want to try and compromise what you believe in God by saying that they believe in God. And they want to, are some of these politicians to go around and comment on the Bible? Oh, my word. They all just need to shut their mouths. Some of the things that they say the Bible says. Some of the ways they quote scripture and pull understanding from it. They have a form of godliness but deny its power. Now, that doesn't mean just denying its power as far as healing is concerned, as far as uh, miracles are concerned. Not just denying its power there. Denying its power to change you. The power of God is there to change you and to bring you into the image of God. That is the real power of God. To take one who was a sinner and turn them into the, to the uh, uh, image of God. Turn them into some who is who's more God-like. More like God. That's the power of God. He can drive out all that sin, all that desire for sin. That's what it can do. But they deny that power because they're trying to legislate people. Trying to, through the law, get people to be right. That won't work. And from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households, coming in secretly, and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Johnese and John Breeze resisted Moses, so do there also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith. But they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all as theirs also was. People that are in this lifestyle, they're not, pro, they're not, pro, they're not proceeding. They're not growing. They're not becoming any better of a person than what they were. We always ought to be out there trying to better ourselves, trying to make ourselves into uh, more of the image of God. God's going to pinpoint something. Here's a belief that you have. Here's an action that you do. Here is something that you're following after. Get rid of those things. Knock this thing out over here. And he just gives it to you one at a time, two at a time. He doesn't give you a whole thing. He doesn't come after you and say, look, you got this, 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 this. No, that's too overwhelming. He wants you to focus on a certain amount of thing. Legalistic people bypass that process. God may come up to me and he says, Steve, you're doing good. I really like the way that you're going. But you got one or you got these two areas over here. I want you to work on these things. All right, two areas. I can work on two areas. And I begin to set out to work on those two areas. And someone who is legalistic comes up to me and says, No, you got to work on this, 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 and this. I become overwhelmed. I don't change anything. Now, the thing is, everything that I pinpointed, you could probably say in the Word of God, that's not something I should be doing. But God's not dealing with me with those things. And if you were really dealing with spiritual people, they will realize God's not trying to change all the things that are wrong with you today. He's looking at one, two, 
Let's try and work. And we're not even, we don't even have to get it to be a perfect level. We're not trying to get you to be perfect in that area. We just want to try and take that area, bring it up a little bit. And now that we brought that area up a little bit, let's go over here to this area. Let's bring this area up a little bit. And then let's go over to this area. Let's bring this area up a little bit. And you see he's growing the whole person. And now that we've done all those areas, now you might be able to come back to one of those other ones and God will say, no, we can bring that up a little bit higher. And that's how he'll bring you along. Religion tries to condemn you and will overwhelm you with things that you have to change. But it won't give you the power to do it. God will give you the power to get it done. Proverbs 28, 25 says, He who is of a proud heart stirs up strife, but he who trusts in the Lord will be prospered. So take a look. If there's a whole lot of strife going on around you, you might have a proud heart. Remember that guy who uh, go around and says, if such and such is true, you might be, you might be a redneck. <laughs> What's, what are some of those things he would say? If you have six cars out on the front lawn and none of them work, you might be a redneck. <laughs> you know, different things like that he would, he would throw out. And um, people always in, enjoy those. Uh, there are a lot of the signs that the Word of God gives us. If this is going on, you might be a proud person. We gave you that one before, that if you, if you have let in anything false in your life, false about another person, false about yourself, false about God, false about His Word, you will see your mercy take a dive, a dive, a nosedive. And we gave you many examples of that. And also people who didn't let uh, falsehood in and walked, uh, walked in mercy. But let's take a look here. I wanted, this is our main passage I want you to see here. We're not going to get into it in a super great detail, but just so you can see it along the lines of an attitude, because being puffed up, having an attitude of being puffed up, that will hurt you. Thinking that you are bigger, that you're more important, it will drive the people away from you. 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 2, we're going to take a look at some damaging attitude. Now concerning things offered to idols... We know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Take a look. If you only have knowledge, take a look at your life. If you only have knowledge of a thing, then you begin to feel puffed up. Oh, look at me. I know this, and I know this, and I know this. But love edifies. If you walk in love, then the people around you are feeling edified. If you're walking in pride, then the people around you see you as puffed up. That's a real good indicator right there of where you're at. Let's go on. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing. Yet as he ought to know. So what Paul is saying here, hey, if you think, boy, I have arrived in this area. I know so much about faith. I know so much about miracles. I know so much about whatever it might be. I know so much about that. Paul is telling you this. If you think that you know a whole lot about that, you know nothing. You know nothing. I, I forget how the, the quote exactly goes, but I remember somebody had uh, said that if you know everything on a topic, then you either know nothing or know everything. Because most people who think they know everything, generally, know nothing. 
the more that you look at a topic, you know, I love studying space, love studying space. I read about things that probably would bore you, but I love them. I read about different things that are going on in the solar system. I read about things that are defining going on in other galaxies. I read about, I love reading about voyagers and the spaceships that are going on there and what's, what's happening. I love all the probes that they've sent out to different planets and looking at things, the Mars, Mars rover. I love reading about, about some of these things. I even met somebody who actually worked on some of these things that went into space and are still in operation right now and had some uh, conversations with him on some of these things. I know most people will get bored, but I just love sitting there and reading about these things. But the more I read about it, the more I understand I don't know much. I do not know much about this. And so I'm looking to, to take more. You know, how many have ever done any study on dark matter? <laughs> yeah, I've done, it. I've done some study on that, and I know there's a whole lot I don't know about dark matter. There's a whole lot I don't know about this stuff. But I want to learn. I look at uh, black holes. I've learned more over the last two years about black holes than I knew in all the time before, and I still know nothing. I know nothing about them. And we're still speculating about all these things. But if you think that you know everything there is about something in the Word of God, guess what? Paul, this is Paul. Paul telling you, who went up to heaven, got revelation given to him from God. Paul is telling you, you don't know a thing. You don't know a thing. Keep pressing in. If you get so puffed up that you think you know everything about it, you know nothing. Because God doesn't give the actual revelation to people that are puffed up. He gives them to those that are humble. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by Him. That's what we want to be known by. I want to be known by God. How do you know if you love God? Real simple. How do you know if you love God? Keep His commandments. That's how you know you love God. Not by what you say. You can say all you want to. I love God. You can sing. Every day, songs. I love God. But if you do not do what He says, you do not love God. That's from God's point of view. That's His perspective. If you want to love God, do what He says. Therefore, know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no other God but one. Isn't that true? Idols are dead. There's only one God. There's demon spirits that inhabit these things and demon spirits try and make these things do, do stuff. But there's no idol. There's no other God. There's only one God. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we for Him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things, I'm sorry, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. However, there is not in everyone that knowledge. For some with consciousness of the idol until now eat it as a thing offered to an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled. But food does not commend us to God for neither if we eat are we better nor if we do not eat are we the worse. So he's breaking it, breaking it down here in this. Now again in um, verse 1. Now concerning things... Offered idols. He's writing this about concerning things. He is telling you about a view toward what is offered idols. An idol is nothing. It is not a god. It has no power. It's an image. It's whatever people make of it. 
That's all that it is. It's nothing. We all know we walk into a place with an idol. It's stupid. It's just an idol. There's nothing sacred about that because it is not a God. We all know that. We could walk in such a way to say that, well, this food was offered to idols and therefore I'm not going to partake of it. Now, how many have ever had an opportunity to eat food offered to an idol? Anybody here? Yeah, we... We have a hard time finding them. You can't really go down to the idol store and get the meat that they offer to the idol that morning. But this is not the case for the Corinthian saints. It's not the case for even people in Ephesus. This is not the case for the people in many of the cities here. They had these temples and the worship of these idols was very, uh, very popular. And it just went on every single day. And a lot of things would go on inside those temples that you would not want to be around. But they would take the best meat that came into the city and they would offer it as a sacrifice to the idol. And then there was a market outside and at the market they would sell the meat that was burned and you know roasted and whatever because it was not all just burned away. It was brought in as an offering and then that meat was uh, then taken and eaten. Just like with the Israelites, some of the meat that they would bring was eaten by the Levites, was eaten by the priests. So they would bring some of this meat out and they would sell it at the market. If you wanted good meat, then you had to go down to the idol store and buy the market meat. So it was a lot more common for them. So what would happen in these cities is once you got born again, some of the young Christians, well, I don't know, should I eat meat sacrificed to idols anymore? I don't know if I should do that. I mean, that was a, that's an idol that's there. And another person who's been walking with God knows that's nothing. That's not, I can go up there and eat that, that meat offered there. And I know it wasn't done then. It, it's no big deal. And what Paul is saying here is this. He's just taking one current day operation. It's not a current day operation for us, but it was for them. This is something they faced on a regular basis. Meat offered idols is for sale. Do I buy it? Do I want to do anything with this? If you want any kind of a good bit of meat, that's where you have to go out to get it. If I have lived my life and I say, well, you know, I'm free of all this. I'm just going to go down to the idol store and I'm just going to uh, buy the meat that they have left over and then bring that on home. I get a better price on the meat. I get a better meat, whatever it might be. Um, I'm tired of eating vegetables. I'm going to go down there and get, get that stuff. And so you go on down there and then brother, sister, so-and-so sees you going on down there. Oh, did you know that brother... Sister so-and-so went down to the store and bought the meat offered to idols. Oh, I can't believe that they did that. Because these are the things that were going on. These are the things that would, that would happen. So he's, he's talking about the view that people had towards things offered to idols. We lose it because we don't have this anymore. We don't really have any store that's offering these, these sort of things. If you weren't involved in the actual pagan worship that had the sacrifice, you wouldn't have that opportunity. Now, it can be anything that has no lasting effect. But someone takes on a view that it will. So we can look at things in our day, and should I participate in these things? Should I do these things? Will it have any kind of a lasting effect? And um, this is what we have to we have to do. You know, sometimes we, we may think, well, uh, secular music. 
secular music is, is out. I don't listen to secular, I don't like secular music. Uh, there's very little music that I actually do like that I'll just sit back there and listen to. Generally, I'll find things that are, somebody's teaching me something, I'd much rather listen to, listen to that. But you may find a Christian, and they may listen to that hard rock stuff. When I was a youth pastor, they had a couple of those uh, Christian bands that were hard rock. Um, I'm trying to think of some of those. What was it, Petra? Well, Petra, I almost enjoyed Petra. They weren't quite, they weren't the, the real hard rock. Who was the yellow, yellow jumpsuit people? Um, Striper. Anybody ever heard of them? They were a real hard, hard, I, I heard them, I said, oh. I just don't like them. I don't know what they're saying. I can't understand what they're saying. But, you know, there were Christians that would go out there and to, and to do that, and they would listen to this, and what well, was music that ministered to them? Well, there were some of the uh, older folks in the church, and they just would condemn them. Oh, I can't believe that you're listening to, to this kind of music. Striper. I mean, listen to that. Oh, that music is awful. Oh, it's just, that has to be satanic. Well, as far as I know, I don't know a whole lot about them. If you know something else about Striper or some of these other groups that I don't know, I didn't know a whole lot about them. But it got these people who liked this sound and they were listening to words that were much more wholesome than what they would have been listening to otherwise. And they, uh, they went up to that. I heard this, there was this guy I used to listen to, listen to him a couple of times anyway. He, was, he seemed like he was a decent talk show person. And then he went off and he, he started his own um, talk show instead of uh, doing on the radio and he said he was studying to be a pastor that was his his goal he wants to be a pastor and he was pretty uh, novice in it because he started telling the story of uh, daniel and started getting mixed up with some of the other stories that were in the book of daniel and attributed to, to daniel himself and i'm thinking all right you you got to go to school and learn which story you're talking about here but anyway we got i can get past that and, and so forth but then he started this thing he called it the, the um, I don't know, it wasn't a music hour, but he would go over a, a particular piece of music that he really enjoyed. And so um, the one was some hard rock group. I didn't know about it, but I'm thinking, why are you taking time to deal with this secular piece of music? And I couldn't understand it. But then the next day, next time he got in there, he was, he was doing this one. I knew about this one. He said, I'm going to play for you a song from Sticks." All right, I'm pretty sheltered as far as music is concerned and, and all that, but I knew where Sticks came from. I knew the group, and I knew they, I knew they took their name from the uh, mythical river that goes through hell. How many didn't know that? The name Sticks, spelled S-T-Y-X? S-T-Y-X. Spelled funny. That is the mythical name for a river that flows through hell. They took their name from that. That's not the only group who took on satanic names. And then you look at some of the things that were done. So this guy who's supposed to be a pastor was talking about how this song ministered to him. That was the last time I ever listened to a show. That was it. I didn't even listen. I didn't want to hear the rest of what he had to do with, with sticks. I'm thinking, if you cannot tell the difference. So that was the, the end of that. And and I don't even know if he's still doing anything or not. He, he might be. He may not be. But still, people would come in there and they would take a look at a Christian band. And maybe they don't play quite the music that, that uh, is there. My, my dad had a real hard time with the first music group I got involved with. Because I, all through my high school years, I didn't listen to music. M- music did not interest me at all. My sister listened to rock and roll all the time. I didn't like any music. There was no music out there that interested me. I just went out and we played football, we played hockey. 
But I went away to one of the uh, Jesus festivals. I believe it was, uh, it was either Creation or one of the, the latter Jesus festivals. And he was not there. But people were talking about this particular singer that they would not invite back because he brought everyone in the, in the group, everybody at the meeting, especially the leaders, he brought them under condemnation. And they felt guilty for some of the ways they were living. Well, that got my, it had my interest. I was wanting to find out about this guy. So um, they were selling his music. And so they had his music. So I went over to the, to the store and I bought two cassettes. These were on cassettes. They weren't A-tracks. It wasn't that old. <laughs> <laughs> but they were on, on cassettes. And I took them on home. And I put them on. The, the, the only place that I could play music in the house was on the big uh, console. I mean, it was, it was big. You know, one of those big, big things. And just flat, and you open it up, and there's a turntable inside. And it has a little spot for you to put the, the tape and then the radio. All this stuff is in there. It's my dad's. And he would play his classical music on it. So I took my little tape, and I plopped it on in there. And I'm playing the music. My dad came storming on into the, the room. And he said, what are you playing? <laughs> I told him what I was playing. And he said, we don't play that kind of music here. I said, Dad, it's Christian music. Well, it don't sound like it. That was our conversation on this particular thing. The music was, I've talked to you about this guy before. I still listen to him this day. Brother Keith Green. The two albums I bought, for there was one called No Compromise, and for him who has ears to hear. To this day, they are still loaded on my phone, and I will oftentimes go out for a run and just say, you know what, it's a Keith Green day. And I'll just put him on. I was out there, I had a delivery at the shore this, this, uh, this week, and I put him on, and I have enough music for him that for the two hours and 15 minutes that I was running on the boardwalk, I listened to nothing but Keith Green, and no song repeated. And I just, oh, I love that whole, whole thing. He just, but it, it was not quite the, the beat of music that everybody was, was used to. Now, he was a lot mellower than Striper and... Uh, who was the other one? Petra. Yeah. Uh, some of these other ones, a lot mellower than that. But the words were good, and they brought people to the attention of Jesus. Um, but you see, sometimes people will look at this and they'll say, wait a minute, you're going to this particular thing, and they'll look at it in the same way that people in Paul's day looked at folks who ate meat that was sacrificed to idols. We don't take time to try and understand what's going on. Should this be going on? Is this okay? Are we, are we having people minister to? And so we, um, we did that. I know when, when I first took the kids over to one of the creation festivals, I was the youth leader, and I first took the kids over to the creation festivals. probably been a little while since I told the story. Many of you may not have ever heard it. But when they had gone out to the creation festivals before with the previous youth leaders, they were allowed to do whatever they wanted to do for the three days that they were there. And that wasn't my style. And so I let them know, said, that's not how it's going to be. I will tell you how it will be. And I spent some time. I spent a lot of time. I wrote up the rules for the event. And I spent an entire night at the youth group meeting telling them, these are the rules, these are why these are the rules, and this is what will happen if you break the rules. Three pages of rules. Mostly it was three pages because I was explaining each rule. Some of the rules were simple. No guy and girl will go off together. That's it. A couple of the rules I changed in the second year. One of the rules was this. Every event 
that goes on at creation is mandatory. Everyone. You must go to them all. That was the first rule I scrapped when we went back the second year. Because that meant I had to listen to all the songs. All the people that came out. All the musical, the rockers and whatever else. There was one of them. Have you, if some of you met Brian Crady, my buddy from Brian Crady, he, we go back that far. We were listening to this one group. I do not know who they were. They were so loud. And it was, it was painful. And so everyone was standing up listening to them. Brian and I laid down on the ground to get some protection from the bodies that were in front of us from the intensity of the sound. And I knew we will change this rule. And so the second year we went, all teaching events are mandatory. <laughs> Music was optional. We let that, uh, that part go. Every year the rules got a little bit less and less because every year we put more of the Word into them. And I knew if I didn't give them the opportunity to live the Word, the rules weren't going to make any difference. So every year we got less and less on the rules. I think the last year I had taken them, I said, guys, you know how to behave. I really don't need to lay this out to you. But when we did it the first year, we had utter rebellion. Utter rebellion. And I had half of the group who said, we aren't going with you. I said, that's fine. But you will not eat at our campsite. You will not fellowship with our people that go with us. You will not ride with us to get there. And we will offer you absolutely no help while you are there. Okay. So they went off and they tried to plan this thing out. They found out this is not an easy thing to plan and it is not an easy thing to plan. They finally gave in. All right, we'll go with your rules. They went with my rules. One person, only one person that I can remember anyway, really pushed the envelope. One girl had her boyfriend meet us up there and they went off by themselves. And um, I don't know what they did. I don't know if they did anything at all. It didn't matter. The rule was, don't go off by yourself. And so the first thing, that if you broke that rule or any of the other rules, if you broke the rule, the first line of, of uh, punishment was you are chained to a counselor. So she was chained to one of the girl counselors that we had. And I said, she will always know where you are. If she ever doesn't know where you are, and I come up to her and say, where is so-and-so, and she doesn't know where you are, you are on a bus home, and your parents pay the bill. She was in tears, and I'm telling her this. Oh, she was crying up a storm. But I still remember to this day the words that she spoke to her counselor after it was done. She said, I wish my dad cared that much about me. Mm. Yeah. Don't be thinking that your kids don't want discipline. That is wrong. They do. They want somebody to, to rent in the, the guard on there. But they were great kids. We had a wonderful time. That was the only incident that I can really think of. And we came back. We all survived. We fed them all. And we had some, uh, some fun times with the whole thing. But you see, we read this over and we think, offer meat to idols. I don't do that. Nobody that I know does this. This is not useful for me at all. No, you've got to make it into things today. What do people do in the body of Christ that others look down on without ever checking it out? Without ever seeing what's going on? This is what, what happens here. So Paul is speaking of the view toward what he was offered to idols here. But it can be anything that has no lasting effect. We lose the godly care of people and we care more about the belief. This is what will happen. People lost the godly care of people and cared more about the belief of what happens when we eat meat sacrificed to idols. 
Now, some of the examples are, that I'll give you here, uh, end times, you'll see this. People who have a view towards the millennial. There's no millennial reign. Oh, well, we're just, you're just out of this group. We don't like that at all. There's uh, no tribulation. Well, you're out. Uh, the timing. Well, it's not going to happen for forever. Well, it already did happen. Uh, we're going to have discussions on who's a prophet, who's an apostle, who's not. Uh, we'll have discussions even with people. What car you can drive. How big of a house you ought to have. There's pet doctrines like deliverance, the blood, trumpets, flags. Even healing will separate people in this. Spiritual gifts, faith can be such things. These are things that people look at and they say, because of your view about spiritual gifts, because of your view about tongues, because of your view about using the name of Jesus, because of these things, they, they, they write you off. If you do or if you don't, you get put into a group and people will write it off. This is, this is the group that he's talking about. Verse 9, but beware lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. We walk in liberty. I have the liberty to go and to listen to that kind of music. As long as the words are edifying and you know I've checked them out. Maybe they're not edifying to you, but I can look at them and see them in the Word of God. This is what we have to, we have to do. We have to spend time with. Don't let the freedom that you have. Don't crush people with your freedom. And don't be uncaring about the people in your life because of the freedom you have. For if anyone sees you have who have knowledge eating in the idol's temple will not conscious of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols. See, it's no problem for the, Paul, the people Paul's writing to. It's no problem for you to eat the meat offered to the idols because your conscience is clear. You understand this better. But this person doesn't understand it. So if they follow your example, they come into condemnation because they don't have the same freedom that you do. That's what he's writing to them about. He's saying, I know that eating meat from an idol is not going to hurt you. And because of your knowledge, shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? This is what we have to have the concern for. Godly liberty. Put this in your outline for you. Godly liberty will not cause anyone to stumble, but fleshly liberty does. Make sure your liberty is godly. If you have liberty, you are always looking for how you can help people. How you can get people to grow. Fleshly liberty says, well, I can do this if I want to. The first cares more for the weaker one. The second cares more for their freedom. The first one, the one in, the one who has godly liberty, cares more about the weaker one. The second cares more about their freedom. Well, I'm free to do this if I want to. Yes, you're free to do it if you want to, but God wants you to have the concern for the people that are around you. Verse 12, but when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience... You sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. You want to find out a real good place for, for a tear, a person going in the direction of that? If they care more about themselves and their liberty than they do about the weaker brethren, they are more than likely not going in the path of the wheat, but going in the path of the tear. When we have that godly care on the inside, I begin to come, become concerned with everybody, well, all right, well, brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so, they don't know about this. If they hear me, if they see me doing this, you know, one of the things that we have in this country is just going out there for a drink. You know, if you could go out there and see different people with a beer in their hand, not think anything of it. I'll bet you if any of you ever saw me with a beer in my hand, it would take, you'd take a double look at that. What? <laughs> what? Now, you wouldn't because I can't stand the stuff. 
It's not even a religious thing. For, I just can't stand the stuff. But I don't go up to anybody else and condemn them because they are or they are not. It's, it, it's, we have to get a, the concern about the people. I've got to look at the people. Maybe that's something that they're going to get over later on, but God's not dealing with them yet. Maybe it's something that they don't need to get over. You let God deal with them. God is the one who's going to be sanctifying the, the person. Now, Paul calls this a sin against the brethren and against Christ. When you walk in the liberty in this way, he calls it a sin against the brethren and against Christ. So be careful about that liberty you got. Now, this won't identify a tear, but it can sure help you figure out somebody might be on that way. Remember the destructive heresies of Second Peter 2? Now, tears are often... Tears, on the, the people that are tears. Tears often project moral superiority while lacking basic kindness. If you find people that are around that are always acting like they have the moral high ground, I am better morally, but there is no kindness in them. Hmm. That gets me to wonder a little bit about it because one of the things that will happen when you get born again and the Spirit of God comes on the inside of you and you get filled up with the love of God, you start to become more kind. I'm not saying that you're the kindest person in the world right off the bat, but you are working in that direction. If you are a tear, if a person is a tear, they're not working in the direction of kindness. They're working in the direction of self-righteousness, condemning others. This is the direction that they're going. We don't need to have that kind of stuff go on. There are many forces at work to steer your attitude in the wrong, harmful, even damaging direction. There's many forces that are out there. Our role is to make sure I keep my attitude good. Keep your attitude to your spouse good. How many of y'all know your spouse can do something, your attitude can change and get bad quick? Your kids can do something and your attitude goes in a bad direction fast. Your boss, your coworkers can do something and your attitude can go south fast. Part of the process of becoming sanctified Part of the process of getting closer to God, having that God image put on the inside, is that your attitude doesn't go south very easily. It's becoming harder and harder until you finally get to the point that, you know what? Whatever they do, they do. I know what I'm supposed to do, and you focus on making sure that you do what you're supposed to do. And if you go out there and a person has a bad attitude, you just don't let it affect you. You don't get there overnight. But you can get there. But a tear, I have no concern about getting in that direction. Now the Spirit of God will never be such a force as to take you in a direction to harm others, to walk in a direction like he has just described there in Corinthians. The Spirit of God will never be a force to take your attitude in a bad direction. Never. Not single time. But darkness, the world, and our flesh will. Tears are not of the Spirit of God. Because they're not of the kingdom. They are not of the Spirit of God. So you got to ask yourself this question. What leads you? What leads you? What is it in your life that can influence you in such a direction that your attitude gets nasty? That your attitude gets selfish? That your attitude gets focused on me instead of what's going on with the other people? So that you're walking in your liberty. I don't care if this hurts brother, sister, so-and-so as long as I get to do what I want. Your attitude 
is something that will show the world who you are. Because they're going to look at the things that are going on, but your attitude stayed good. Wow, how did you, how did you maintain that positive attitude? That's amazing. They may watch you for a couple of times and never say anything about it. And you may even get discouraged and say, well, I've been maintaining my attitude. No one's noticing the thing. Yeah, they are. They're just not sure how quick they ought to come up and to say something. But then all of a sudden, one day, they may come to you and they may say, I've been watching you. And some of the things that make other people get short, get angry, it doesn't happen with you. I've seen some of the way people have dealt with you, but you don't go out there and, and talk to them in a nasty way. You see, this is how you begin to witness for God because God has made a change in who you are. And people are going to realize, people in the world are beginning to realize, you know what? I think you're a wheat. And people like the fruit that is on the wheat. And they want to come over and they want to get some of the fruit that you have. And this is how we begin to evangelize and help the people that are around us. And you can begin to talk to them about the things of God. Invite them out to church with you. Invite them out to do different things, whatever it might be. But the people are looking. They're looking. Make sure that your message is in line with the Word of God. Don't compromise the message. Don't compromise it to be like the world. Don't be compromised and think, well, the world will like me more. Don't do it. Stay with the message that is in the Word. Look at the fruit. Make sure that the fruit that I am doing is the fruit that's talked about in the Word of God. Galatians lays out some really good fruit to imitate. The fruit of the Spirit is love. But some of the things that come out of that, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, all these things come out. These are the fruits that people are going to want to see. But God wants you to become the kind of person that produces these fruits because it's what's on the inside of you. You don't have to go and take them and paste them on so that everybody sees what you look like. No. He wants to get that on down on the inside of you. And when he can, a, a person who is, a, who is wheat, because the nature of the plant, the DNA of the plant is such, it will produce wheat. But if the nature of the person is a tear, they will not produce wheat no matter how much they put it out there or try. But God is in the business of changing our nature. He wants to change the nature that we have, that we go from a sinful nature into the nature of God. And I would venture to say that anyone who allows God to change their nature would be a wheat in the kingdom of God. Let them change their nature. Don't expect them to change it overnight. Don't expect the people that are around you to get changed overnight. And be joyful when they have little victories. And they have things that they've done. And they got, oh man, somebody did this at their work and I didn't get mad. Be joyful with them. Be glad with them. Oh, that is fantastic. That is great. Because that is a genuine victory for them. And they have more victories that are ahead. But be one who encourages them. Be one who brings them along. Use your liberty for good. Don't use your liberty to drag people down. Would you all stand up with me? Father, you have called us to be free. Oh, we like that freedom that you have called us to. But as Paul exhorts us, don't use your freedom. Don't use your liberty to hurt other people that are around us. 
And Father, your goal for us is that we take the people that are around, we don't make judgments on them, we don't decide, well, that's a tear, well, that's nothing, that's just a weed, that's nothing that's going to be good. But we look at everything that's around us as if it could be a weed. And we try and help them to change the nature that is on the inside through the power of God. And I thank you for the help that you give us on it. Give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, glory to God. I hope you enjoyed part two on this. We weren't really looking to go in that, that particular direction. Tomorrow I have a, a teaching coming out for you. Uh, one from Brother Hagen. The reason I picked this one is on this particular teaching, he has a lot of uh, several stories on here that talk about people who had tremendous healing testimonies and received the healing. Most of these cases, they received the healing simply by believing God's Word. There was nothing spectacular done on it at all. They just believed God's Word. In fact, in the beginning of this teaching, I think somewhere around the 20-minute mark, if I remember right, he tells a story. Of, um, it was a... a forget whether it was a relative of his or, or something. The baby was born, was a relative of his, was born defective and they did not expect the baby to live. And I believe he told his, his relative, I don't know if it was his brother, uh, but it was somebody close to him. He told him, look, tell him, tell him the word of God says that, he, that, that baby's healed. Well, are you sure? And they went through that whole discourse. And yep, you, you tell them. And that's all they had to go on. And they said before the very eyes of the doctor, that baby lost all its deformity and lived. Lived a good life. And he goes on to teach you some other things too. He talks about we had a conversation with somebody not too long ago about raising the dead. Raising the dead involves a lot of things. And he gets into some of those things on that. But it's a uh, wonderful teaching as far as some of the testimonies that come in. If you've ever thought, well, I've got this particular thing going on with me. It's a big deal. I don't know that, um, you know, unless something spectacular happens and some evangelist comes over and I get hands laid on me or an angel shows up or whatever it might be. No, this is, this is one of those things you can do. I've given you some of my testimonies and some of those have come just from believing the Word of God. I want you to be able to do the same kind of thing. So that's going to be coming out tomorrow. Uh, the link will go out uh, on the text message if you're on the text list, and it will also go out on Facebook at 11 o'clock tomorrow. All are already set up, and you should be, be uh, seeing those. On Wednesday, I put a little, little snippet. We'll get into uh, more of what's going on here. But Ezra is going to be put into a difficult situation because he has been talking about serving a big God, and all of a sudden, he's got to put his money where his mouth is. And if you've ever been in a situation where you've talked about having a big God, and then have actions that tell the world that your God is small. <laughs> Ezra knew that wouldn't be a good thing. We're going to get into chapter 8 of Ezra. That's where that's all, that's all happens. That'll be on Wednesday. Have a great rest of the day and bless some of the folks that are around you.